Well, good day, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Buckner Foster Care and Adoption podcast series, where we will dive into topics and issues related to foster care and adoption. My name is Gilbert Montez, and I'm your host for this fourth edition. I serve as a director of church relations here at Buckner International. And today with our special guest, we're going to dive into all things foster care and adoption. In Texas, there's an ever-growing need for foster care and adoptive parents. And uh, we believe that there is no better place than the church to love and care for those children. A church can provide support and care and love for families as those families care for vulnerable children. Today, our guest is Jason Johnson, who is the Director of Church Ministry Initiatives for the organization Christian Alliance for Orphans, or CAFO as we call it. Jason speaks and teaches at churches and conferences, forums, and workshops on church-based ministry strategies and best practices, as well as encouraging families who are in the trenches and those who are considering getting involved. Much of his time is also spent coaching and consulting with church leadership teams from all around the country on how to start, lead, and grow orphan care ministries within their church. I've had the privilege of hearing Jason speak and teach about this subject several times this year. Let me tell you, he's passionate about this. And not only is he a teacher and encourager about foster care and adoption, he lives this within his own family. He is the author of All in Orphan Care and the Beauty and Brokenness of Foster Care, and he blogs at Jason Johnson Blog. He and his wife, Emily, and their four daughters live in College Station, Texas. So Jason, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to have you. Oh, thanks, Gilbert. It's great to be here. Uh, Jason, you were uh, serving as a pastor in the North Houston area when God, uh, I think you say, radically began to shape your life in a different direction, uh, specifically toward foster care and adoption. Can you uh, just briefly describe what that journey was like, where God took you through? Certainly. Uh, The short story is um, one that I think many people can relate to. My wife and I, even before we got engaged, um, uh, I think shared with one another that um, adoption was on our heart. Yeah, it'd be really neat one day to adopt. And so that was already going into our marriage with that somewhere in the life plan, the quote-unquote life plan. And um, and, um, so we get married and we eventually start having kids and and, uh, had three uh, girls. Um, and was planting a new church in the North Houston area. And with that still kind of on the radar, one day, maybe one day, one day. And I think many families can relate to that. And the funny thing about the one day story is, um, you know, what day are you waiting for? You know, well, Mm -hmm. the day that our kids are the right age and life has slowed down enough and we have enough money and all these things that never actually, that one day actually never comes, right? So we just began to feel like, maybe the one day is never going to come and so it just needs to, it's going to be today or you know sooner than we thought always with adoption that just the, the language of adoption on our mind so we're, we're leading this brand new church plant and we um, start to recognize that several people that are starting to come to the church are sharing that similar story of just this heart for adoption we start to become familiar with the idea of foster care, I don't even recall having ever even heard the words foster care before then. We go to a conference with some people in our church um, uh, that was being hosted in a city near, nearby, and my wife and I stroll in at this adoption conference to a breakout session on foster care. I have no idea why, 
Hmm. Um, I don't know what compelled us to go in there. I can't recall. But an hour later, we walked out of this breakout session on foster care knowing that changes everything. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. What, what we just, what we now know to be true, hmm. we can't ever unknow again. Um, this reality of foster care. And as the pastor of our church, it struck a chord with me that we really wanted to be a church that engaged our city and brought renewal to our city. And now I know that there's this whole foster care issue in our city. And so it will be impossible for us as a church to truly impact our city um, if and ignore the foster care situation. We had to do something about it. So not only personally for my wife and I did it become the answer to our one day, um, it also for our church became a, a significant component of who we were. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, in, in, your, uh, in your book, All in Orphan Care, the theme of your book is that God secures and protects the rights of the helpless and the homeless. I've read your book several times. Uh, my question uh, is just that why should a believer of Christ care for orphans? For this, why should we have a burden for this foster care and adoption issue? Um, and, and why should the staggering numbers that we see, why should that resonate in our heart? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, I'll, I'll often say that I truly am convinced uh, and that within the church and, and Christian evangelical world that we have to start believing that perhaps we have a foster care crisis in our city because we have a discipleship crisis in the church. Mm. That really the lack of involvement and the lack of engagement from the Christian community can be traced back to um, a, a, a lackadaisicalness, if that's even a word, when it comes to our faith and our, our, our living out of the gospel. And so bringing people back to the gospel and the idea, of, like you mentioned from the book, that God secures and protects the rights of, of the helpless. And, and um, nowhere is that any more true than even in our own lives. That that's what we celebrate about who God is and what He's done is that when I was at my worst and when I was most helpless, um, God interceded on my behalf. And so for me to celebrate that about God, but not be willing to demonstrate that about God um, into the lives of those around me, just seems, um, there seems to be something wrong with that, at least for me. And that's really, even going back to when I was pastoring our church and we became aware of the foster care situation in our city, we just knew we really can't be the kind of church we want to be and ignore this issue. Um, and I think for a lot of Christians, if we, we began to develop this sense of, I really you know, can't be the kind of follower of Jesus I want to be and ignore some of these things which seem to be so important to him in Scripture. Um, so just bringing people back to that place where they really understand and appreciate and value the essence of the gospel in their own lives, and then they're given real practical outlets for how they can um, put that into um, practice and demonstrate that into the lives of those around them. Yeah, so, yeah, I've sat in your workshops and I've listened, and, and when you introduced, you know, that this is a discipleship issue, that, that opened up a whole new chapter for me in, in terms of my own journey. And I think you challenge 
uh, you change the paradigms for many people when you when you say that you introduce that um, that and, and I think you've said we are discipling people to be obedient to a command I think that's one of the quotes that you, that you mentioned several times and so from a theological standpoint explain how that uh, works out yeah so um, you know at the end of the day as church leaders we are not recruiting people to meet a need fundamentally we are first and foremost discipling people to obey a command that's the mission that Jesus has left us with to go and to make disciples teaching them to obey um, recruitment to meet a need um, leads people into a place where they might be motivated to meet a need the problem is is what happens when that need becomes hard too hard or too overwhelming or too difficult for them to meet we see it over and over again people wipe their hands of that need and they let somebody else start meeting that need what motivated them in was the meeting of a need and ultimately what what pushed them out was the need is just too hard to meet for me so we have to take a step back and look at what are we motivating people into this with it has to be something that's more sustainable than that and i'm convinced that the the only sustainable force that we that we have at our disposal in terms of staying engaged in in matters that are deeply close to the heart of god and are hard waters to navigate through that that come with difficulty and, and struggle and sacrifice the only thing that can truly sustain us in that work is, is the gospel. And so that's what motivates us into it, our understanding of the work of Jesus on our behalf. And our, our work on behalf of others in light of and because of and as a reflection of the work of Jesus on our behalf. So on the front end, it motivates us. And then in the middle, it sustains us. That's what keeps us in the trenches that's what keeps why do we keep doing these hard things that are so hard and so inconvenient um, well we have a pretty compelling why you know because it's worth it we believe that hard things are worth it and the gospel provides context for that it, it helps us be remember that um, there's purpose to the struggle and there's hope in, in the difficulties and that's why we stay engaged so it motivates us on the front end it sustains us in the middle and then scripture suggests that it's put on display on the back end it is a very pure and undefiled demonstration of the gospel when we step into the lives of the most vulnerable and marginalized around us scripture in james 127 uses widows and orphans as two of the primary um, examples especially in that context in which it was written of the most vulnerable and susceptible in the culture but i think it, that's just what it is it's it's more of a representation in in scripture of a of of vulnerable and, and marginalized people in scripture says on the front end the gospel motivates us in the middle it sustains us and then on the back end it's a really pure and undefiled and vivid demonstration of the gospel yeah it's a demonstration of the way God was able or God himself step into our lives that's right into that's our right and so we even lives. think about things like Christmas you know we're in October now and, and Christmas is coming up and um, you know in, in my view of Christmas Christmas is always coming up you know even in February <laughs> Christmas is coming love Christmas 
For a number of reasons, but primarily because it's this really unique season of the year where we pause and we reflect on the fact that God, who was up in his glory, looked down on humanity that was immersed in its brokenness, and God chose to step out of his glory and into our brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the most, if not the most compelling and powerful motivating factors for us to engage in hard things. Because what we see right there in the incarnation of God into Jesus is God seeing broken places and broken people and wrapping himself up in it, stepping towards it. The world says to us, pursue comfort and convenience. When you see hard places, when you see broken people, avoid them, isolate from them, get as far away from them as possible. What Christmas does and what the gospel does is completely flip the script on how we respond to hard and broken places yeah. and people. It says, no, we don't step away from that. We, we step towards that. We move into it. Yeah. And we allow their brokenness to, to break us. And, and that's what inevitably begins to happen as we engage in foster care and adoption and struggling families um, and, and marginalized kids and, and their stories as their stories break us. And I think that that in of itself is a pure and undefiled reflection of the gospel mm-hmm. because it's, it's a picture of we move, we move towards and into hard things and we allow those hard things to break us so that maybe um, they don't ha- those people don't have to be broken anymore. Yeah. And, and, and when we step back and re- we reflect on what we celebrate in the gospel is that God would step into our story, he would take our brokenness on himself, he would be broken by our brokenness so that we don't have to be broken anymore. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and we, you know, Gilbert, just to be honest with you, I tend to, and maybe others can relate as well, I tend to be a very good celebrator of that and a very poor demonstrator of mm. that at times. Mm. I really like celebrating that about God. Um, and then I really struggle with wanting to demonstrate that about God. Well, I mean, I think that's the reason we have a foster care issue like we have it. Exactly. Is because for most of us, that that's the issue. We don't we don't mirror that as well as yeah. what yeah. we celebrate it. Yeah, yeah. And not in, and and I don't not in, you know I don't want it to feel like an indictment or a critique. It's more I think there's a lot of encouragement for for people, um, where we can then say this isn't something to point point our finger point our fingers at you and say look at how bad you're doing. It's saying no no. It's it's actually quite an empowering place when we can really help people see the gospel through this really beautiful lens and then encourage them and empower them. God has uniquely wired you and gifted you and resourced you to, to put that on display in some really unique and creative and wonderful ways. Um, so this isn't, you know, you should feel real guilty about what God's done for you and you should go and, and out of your guilt, you yeah. know, try to do something good for somebody else. No, not at all. We're, it's actually quite the opposite. It's, gosh, what an incredible privilege it is um, in light of what we celebrate about what God's done for us to then be able to turn around and look for opportunities to do the same for others. Well, let's, let's take it in that direction yeah. then. Um, let's get down some nitty gritty. Let's say a pastor, uh, just for example, sits in one of your workshops and one of your seminars and. Uh, begins to hear some of these messages and maybe for the first time uh, the spirit begins to stir in his own heart and 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 feels like his church must must respond mm-hmm. so what what kind of advice would you would you give him yeah so that's a great question um, 
You know, what we don't want to do is start building ministry and moving our people and our churches out of a place of zeal. Um, scripture suggests a couple of times to us that zeal without knowledge can be very dangerous. Um, uh, and so, of course, we want to be zealous, but we want our zealousness to be undergirded with wisdom and best practice and um, just a good plan. And so sometimes that means that we, we focus on taking some very simple next steps, you know, um, even when we're highly motivated and we want to go out and change the world right now, like tomorrow we want to change the world, um, we need to take a step back and say, you know what, let's identify what are just a few things that we can do really, really well. And that's really hard to do, especially in this culture where, I mean, we, we, it's a cliche to say we're microwave it, right. but, but it really is. I mean, we right. all want it quick. We want it now. And, and that's, that's the world we live in now. If I have a question, I can ask Siri and she will immediately give me an answer <laughs> to whatever question I have. Right. Um, and so we, we have all been trained to receive whatever we want to receive immediately um, and quickly and easily. And it does take some discipline to step back and say, okay, we want to develop a long-term vision and a long-term picture of what we'd like to see happen but we want to be realistic enough to understand that right now, um, there's just some simple steps that we can start taking towards that, um, that um, fit who we are. Um, and many times, to be honest with you, it, you know, oftentimes in workshops or working with leaders, we'll, we'll suggest that maybe before you start formulating a ministry strategy, the best thing you can do is just start cultivating community among people. Um, and what that means is sometimes the best first place for a church to start is, is asking themselves this question. When was the last time we ever had current foster and adoptive families or those that are in the process or those that have ever done it before in the past, anybody with any context or history or experience with foster care and adoption, past, present, or potentially even future, when have we ever had them in a room together, just them? And many churches would say, well, we've actually never, I don't mm -hmm. know that we've ever done that. Great, then that's the first place to start. Start building community among them and have them learn each other and, and share their stories together and build camaraderie. And, and what we find is that um, sometimes we can build ministry strategy and hope that community forms mm. through it. Um, and sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. But what on the flip side, when we begin to build community first, I have found that 100% of the time, ministry naturally and inevitably evolves from community. Right. Community doesn't always come as a result of developing structure and strategy, but ministry um, always evolves from community. So let's get those people in a room and let's encourage them, let's have them share their stories, and even have them look around the room and, and be reminded that in their church they're not alone. Look at all these other people in the room. Yeah, they're not alone in this. We're in this together. Yeah. And that's real powerful. That's a fantastic place to start. Yeah. So, so let's take it one step further then. Mm -hmm. um, let's say we have family, the Smith family, sitting out in the congregation. The pa they hear the pastor preaches sermon on Orphan Sunday coming mm -hmm. up in November. Uh, and their hearts begin to stir for this. Yeah. Um, and and we're, we go home, husband and wife go home and begin to look at each other and think much like you guys did after your seminar and workshop that you went to. Yeah. But 
what, I, I, what next steps should they take and what, what things should they be aware of that myths and fears that they might encounter? Yeah, yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, if, if this is something that a, a pastor or a leader is considering bringing to the whole church, then there needs to be some strategy in place after. Um, so I, I, I am typically one to advocate that if you're going to preach this kind of a message to your church, there already needs to be in place some immediate and actionable follow-up steps. For example, if we preach a sermon on Orphan Sunday, then we are in that moment, on that day, announcing that maybe next week or the next Sunday or within a few weeks' time, there's going to be an informational meeting. And so if your heart was stirred, if you are that Smith family out there and your heart was stirred and you just have questions and you need a place to go to start to connect with other people and get some answers to your questions, we already have that planned for you. So strongly, strongly recommend to churches that there's always an, a follow-up. Some tangible some next tangible steps. tangible next steps right. that you are walking with your people. You know, one of the worst things we can do for our people is preach a very encouraging and inspiring message on an Orphan Sunday, let's say. Um, potentially stir the hearts of people in our congregation and then leave it there. Yeah. Um, they have no place to go, nowhere to ask questions, no next steps. Um, and then um, they fizzle out, they become a little disillusioned. Maybe we try it again next year. We do yeah. Orphan Sunday again next year and we do the same thing. Yeah. You know what, after a while, eventually our people are just gonna stop listening. They're gonna say, yeah, you tried that before. Yeah. Didn't work out real well. So we just need to have some simple plans in place um, where people can come, you know, a general rule that. We, we, we offer to, we suggest to church leaders and any, any leaders really off all the time is in your church or in your organization, if people don't know where to go or who to talk to about something, guess what? They're not going to go anywhere or talk to anybody about right. it. Yeah. And that applies across the board. If, if a couple in your church has a marriage that's struggling and they don't know where to go or who to talk to at your church about it, they're not going to talk to anybody about yeah. it and their marriage is going to continue. So same is true if, if a couple or if an individual feels compelled to this, my heart is stirred to this, but I don't know where to go or who to talk to about it, the chances of them going anywhere and talking to anyone about it are pretty slim. Yeah. So let's provide the answers to those questions. Here's where you go, and here's who you can talk to. Yeah. It's really as simple as that. And so sometimes with, with big issues like this, because it is a big issue, the foster care crisis is a big, and even that word crisis carries some big heaviness yeah, to it. Yeah. You know. And, and sometimes we think, um, rightfully so in many cases, uh, that a, a big crisis requires a big response. Um, and sometimes that's true. But sometimes um, the best thing we can do in response to a big crisis is um, just put in place a series of very small, simple steps. Mm -hmm. So just to encourage pastors and leaders out there who are saying, we really want this to be a, a big deal in our church. Um, it, it likely means you don't need to start anything big. You don't even necessarily need to do anything big. Um, it can be as simple as, let's just make sure it's very clear, this is where you go and this is who you talk to yeah. if God is stirring your heart towards this. Yeah. Um, and that goes a long way. 
I want to I want to dive into even more practical ways for church members to be involved, mm-hmm. and, and and not just those who are stirred to be foster care and adoptive parents. And and I want to mention one of your resources. Everyone can do something. One of my favorite resources, uh, which which uh, if if you folks who are listening uh, want to look at the CAFO website, mm-hmm. C A F O website. There are free resources available on that website, such as Everyone Can Do Something. Uh, You write, we all have a role to play, some more visible, some more subtle, all of significant importance in serving vulnerable children and families well. So talk about that, uh, you know, the contents of that book and and tell us your, uh, one of my favorite stories, the Kansas City barbecue story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Just because we need to talk about food. It's yeah, okay. we might okay. as well. Food is always a good illustration. <laughs> yeah. So this, again, going back to um, empowering our people with the gospel and then empowering them with just a really strong theology of the body of Christ, which is um, several places in the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul says the church, the body of Christ, is like a human body. It's different, different parts coming together for a common good. It's ears and eyes and hands and feet. And so essentially the principle is we're not all called to do the same thing, but we're all created to do something. And we're all capable of doing something. We're not all called to be eyes or ears or hands. Some are eyes, some are hands, some are feet. And then Paul even says, you know, the ear can't say to the eye, gosh, I wish I was an eye. No, you need to be the best ear you can be so the eye can be the best eye that it can be. That's how the body of Christ works. You know, if we were all a bunch of right feet doing the same thing, we'd literally run around in circles all day long and never get anything done. We would look busy, but we wouldn't be accomplishing anything. So the principle is, um, what's your something? The question is, what's your something? God has uniquely wired you and crafted you as an ear or an eye or a foot or a hand or a pinky toe. And the enemy will want you to believe that um, if you're a pinky toe, you're insignificant. You, know, you don't have much to offer. And the truth is, is that most of us don't think about our pinky toes very often until you stub it on your, on your bed in the middle of the night when you get up. Then suddenly um, your pinky toe becomes the most important part of your body. You know, it takes grown men down to the floor in seconds, you know. Um, You've seen me then, right? Yeah, no, yeah, no. that's right. And I think that goes back to what it teaches in scripture, there are no insignificant parts. Some are more visible and some are more subtle, but none are insignificant. And that's what we want to be empowering our people with is, is we're not all called to do the same thing, but everyone's created and capable of doing something. So what's your something? And that can be a number of things. It's, it's as unique and diverse as every individual member of your church. It could be that some are called, some need to bring kids into their home. It could also mean that some shouldn't. The best thing best thing they can do is to find ways to serve and support. So one of my favorite stories is I met a guy recently in Kansas City who owns a barbecue restaurant. I was at a large church and they were doing a function for foster families and they were honoring these foster families, a couple hundred of them actually in the room and it was catered by a barbecue restaurant. The owner of the restaurant comes up to me, he's in his late 60s, early 70s and says, hey I'm a member of this church, I own this bar- the best barbecue restaurant in Kansas City. Uh, we've told our church that anytime there's a foster care function or a new a foster family takes in a new placement, we want to make sure they have the best barbecue to eat for free. So he donates all this food mm. for foster care in his church. And essentially, this is a guy, you know, kind of a rough and tumble, good old boy, barbecue, you know, 70-year-old guy, fantastic guy. Essentially, he's saying to me, 
I know what I can't do. Um, and I don't feel bad about that. I'm totally okay with what I can't do. But I know what I can do. I can barbecue. And that's his something. And that's his something. Yeah. Um, and that's what he's going to use for the good of the whole. And so what's your something? It, it can be babysitting. It can be helping to supply meals. It can be, um, you know, organizing supplies like cribs and, and just, just very practical, yeah. tangible things. It can be financially supporting people who are trying to adopt that can't afford it. And you stepping in and saying, you know what? Our something is finances. God's blessed us with that. And we, we want to make sure that anytime anybody at our church wants to adopt, money is not an issue. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. That's beautiful. In, in the book, you, you, you mentioned this statement. <clears throat> at our church, some of us are going to bring children into our homes. The rest of us are going to find ways to serve and support them. Yeah. And in that book, you introduce a three-tier structure. Um, explain the, the tier approach and, yeah. and, and why this is important. Yeah, so what if the script at your church could be um, just that? At our church, some of us are going to bring kids into our home. The rest of us are going to serve and support them. And we're going to do that in unique and diverse ways. Um, and then we're going to provide people different on-ramps um, for how they can get engaged. Uh, you know, if we only provided one avenue, become a foster parent, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big commitment. That requires a lot, and not everybody's ready for that. But let's say we went the opposite way and we only provided very low-hanging fruit, like bring a meal or pray. Those are still significant things, but relatively easy to accomplish. Anybody can do those. Um, now those are the two extremes. If all we said was bring a child into your home, we would exclude many people from potentially getting engaged because not everybody's ready for that or even called to them. If all that we did was super low-hanging fruit, we might have families in our church that say, no, we're ready for more or we want to do more. So what we want to do is, is provide different on-ramps that have different levels of commitment. And so we say a three-tiered approach. Tier one, very low-hanging fruit. Literally everybody could do it bring a meal, pray, um, you say, well, I can't cook, fantastic. Order a gift card online and email it to them. Like, you can do it from your phone right now, you know? Like, literally anybody can do that. It's so easy, anybody can do. Tier one, very little commitment. Tier two, slightly more commitment. Maybe it's background check and CPR certified to babysit. That's easy, but just so needed and so important for foster families. Maybe it's financially supporting, it's things like that. Little more commitment, mm -hmm. but not a ton. And then tier three is kind of your full on, your full on, you know, it require, requires training, maybe it's to become a foster parent, an adoptive parent, um, doing respite care, which requires a little more training. Um, a CASA worker requires some training. So anything that involves extensive training, we'd say that's really kind of top shelf, tier three, high level commitment. Let's present, um, different on-ramps for people in our church that have different levels of commitment to help meet people where they are. Yeah. 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 So, so wrap this up for us, Jason. Um, kind of a, I heard you say, um, and maybe this is a new vision statement for you. I hadn't heard you say it before just, just recently, that wouldn't it be great if we had families 
waiting for children mm -hmm. rather than children waiting to be placed with families. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that, I mean, that, that's, that's a vision out there. That, yeah. So talk about that a little bit. So that's very much borrowed. The idea is very much borrowed from my colleague at CAFO, Jason Weber, who um, one of the, his consistent messages is, is we want more than enough. We want more than enough families for children. Right now, we have children waiting for families. We have children removed from homes, languishing in the system, oftentimes sleeping in caseworkers' offices overnight because they just can't find families. We want to flip that script. We don't want children waiting for families. We want families waiting for children. Yeah, yeah. So anytime a child is in need, we, we have families ready and waiting to respond immediately. We want more than enough. We want more than enough families in our churches supporting the other families in our churches. We don't want family, fostering it up to families in our churches, um, languishing in our churches unsupported and unconnected. We want more than enough people wrapping around them so that if a need comes up, it can be immediately met by other families in our church. So that's really the vision. And I believe that um, not one church can accomplish that. And not one church should feel the burden or the expectation to accomplish that on their own. There's such power in churches collaborating and working together in cities and in regions and even in neighborhoods. I mean, depending on where you live in the country, but uh, Texas certainly, you, you'll have a church on every corner in certain right, neighborhoods, yeah. you know? Um, and there's something very unifying about caring for these kids and families that helps break down some denominational walls. Um, it helps break down some, some distinction walls. You know, I've been in rooms with, with pastors in certain cities that, um, just to speak candidly, you will have in the room the most charismatic guy in town in the room. And everybody in the room knows it, you know. Mm -hmm. And across the room, you'll have the most straight-laced, traditional, you'll, you know, in the back, you'll have this newbie church planter, just kind of raw and idealistic, and, and, and you'll just have all this different conglomeration. And we, we recognize that. We say, look around the room. How cool is this that under what other circumstances would all of you be in the room together? Wow. Yeah. Um, but what's, what's neat is that the, the, the cause of these kids in our city is unifying. And it says, you know what, we will, we will set some of our differences aside. Maybe it's theological distinctions, maybe it's worship style and you know, all these different things that typically distinguish us. We're going to set some of those aside for the sake of coming together as the church in this city because these kids are in our city yeah. and we got to do this together. So I, I would never want a church to feel the, the burden or the expectation that you have to fix it all. Yeah. It really requires us all working together. Okay. And I believe that if we do that, we will have more than enough. Families, Families waiting for children. Waiting for That's children. a great vision. Yes. Great vision. Thank yes. you. We'll pray to that end. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason. Thank you for sharing with us today. Um, I'd like to add that if you're thinking about starting a foster care ministry in your church uh, at Buckner, we're here to help. We'd love to come alongside you as you seek to help support foster families in your congregation and the children in their care. Here are a few ways that, uh, that we can help. We can connect, with you, connect you with some of our outstanding Buckner foster care team members who are trained to help in providing training for parents. And we start with an information meeting to help answer questions and help guide you along the way. 
One of the things we encourage churches to do, as Jason just mentioned, is to create this wraparound support system for foster care and adopted parents. We truly believe that everyone can do something and we, um, we want to help you accomplish that. And so thank you for tuning in. We'd like to, if you'd like to learn more about starting a foster care ministry at your, at your church, visit us online at buckner.org backslash churches. If you'd like to learn more about foster care and adoption, you can also visit buckner.org backslash foster care. Again, there are some great resources that uh, Jason and others have authored on the CAFO website. Uh, take, take some time to look at those. Thank you for listening, everyone.